You're listening to WJMF Radio, the beat of Bryant. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I'm Brian Costa, and we have got a great episode in store for you. Been a little bit since I've been on trying to get back to a twice a week schedule, but with classes might just be doing a once a week. So we'll keep you posted on that. But nonetheless, I'm glad to be back on air and I'm glad to be back with a great with a great guest on the show today. He's been on the past couple episodes. Zeke Kransdorf, the voice of the Bryant Bulldogs. Welcome back. Uh Thank you for having me back yet again. I'm excited to do another episode. Absolutely, man. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, in the MLB news. Heim Bloom, former general manager of the Red Sox, is out. We'll discuss that as well as some college football predictions from uh, from courtesy of Zeke. And then we'll also dive into the NFL as well and discuss the Patriots falling short of the Philadelphia Eagles in the week in their week one matchup and preview their week two matchup against the Miami Dolphins and so much more. Don't worry, we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers as well because that was a bombshell news story. But first, Zeke, we are going to discuss MLB as MLB first because that is the most uh, that's the first like and you know foremost you know biggest story going on right now in the uh, Boston sports market. Heim Bloom general manager of the Red Sox brought in four years ago to, you know, try to help the team cut payroll and, you know, change up their philosophy from when Dave Dombrowski took over the general managership. He is out. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are immediately on this as this news broke yesterday. Uh, you know, when I heard this news, uh, a smile lit across my face. I mean, uh, <laughs> there, there's really no other way to put it. Uh, he did not do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw under his tenure, a lot of big stars unhappy, a lot of big stars leaving, whether it was their own choice or whether it was trades. Uh, and it was just, um, there's no nice way to put it, but just a tire fire, really. Yeah. Um, no, I, I tend to agree with you. And it got really bad at times. I mean, I remember specifically when, um, I remember more when his predecessor, Dave Dombrowski, took over as the as the head of the team. He was... I remember just like when Dave Dombrowski was announced as general manager, I was I was ecstatic about the news. And I remember like celebrating with my friends because I knew, all right, we're going to get in. We're going to get a guy in here who's going to come in and spend a lot of money, make some great trades and help us contend for a championship, which he did. Inevitably, he may have gone a little too far and maybe spent a little bit too much money. But at the end of the day, he put together that powerhouse of that 2018 team and they were just an absolute wagon the entire time they won 108 games in the regular season um total i think 119 wins overall in the year so um they were great to see and had a ton of and i had a ton of fun watching them my senior year of high school the next year they bought them out and they finished in third place in the al east and they don't even give him they don't even let him finish out the season that year they they tank him and they say all right we're going to change up our philosophy they brought in heim bloom and I just, I mean, this is going back like four years now, so I kind of have to think back on my philosophy at the time. But I remember even when the hiring was made, I hadn't heard much about Bloom. And since, you know, and at that time, I was kind of not as tuned into baseball as I was. Um, when I was younger, I had a better idea of like all the executives and the big names. But even then, I had a hard time even trying to figure out who Bloom was, what he stood for, and what his philosophy was going to be. Um, inevitably it was this, that he was going to, they were going to try to make a model of Tampa Bay up in Boston with the resources of the Red Sox. Only one of those things ended up happening though, because 
you had those great stars in Mookie Betts, in Xander Bogarts, and there was a promise that we're going to make an effort to keep these guys. But in, in the end, we only ended up getting getting to keep one of those three stars, and that was Rafael Devers, who is having a struggling year this year, but I do believe in him as well. But looking back on it, this was just a bad move from the start. Yeah, uh, I mean, just just the concept, you know, take the Tampa Bay Rays and, and put them up in Boston with Boston's sort of payroll. There's a reason why Tampa Bay existed the way it did, yes. right? It's because they had those limited uh, limited access and limited resources. Mm-hmm. Boston didn't have that issue. Boston had plenty of money to throw around, and you see these other big market teams like New York Yankees, like the L.A. Dodgers, they are able to build these huge, massive powerhouse teams because they actually take advantage of using all the resources that they have at their disposal. Yeah. The Red Sox have those same resources, chose not to use them, and then complain when people don't want to show up for like 40 buck tickets. Yeah. Listen, Zeke, I, I, I'm going to say this when it comes to the philosophy of Moneyball, I like the movie. I think that it can work in some aspects of the game and it can help you decide, all right, like what fourth outfielder do we, do we want to have the, on the team? Do we want to pay this guy $10 million or do we want this other guy that we can pay, you know, $5 million and work around a contract here and there? I like how you can, I think it's good in certain scenarios, but for running big operations, bringing in stars for a team, I just don't think it's sustainable. And in my opinion, I've said this on the show before, there hasn't been an example in my mind of a team operating solely on the money ball philosophy that has gone on to win the World Series. The only team that has come close and that I have mentioned is the Kansas City Royals. And they didn't really operate on the money ball philosophy. They just got very lucky raising an incredible young farm system with Eric Hosmer, uh, Alex Gordon, Lorenzo. Well, they brought in Lorenzo Kane, but just bringing in all these young stars and being able to build something up from the ground up and then getting some pitching later on when you got Johnny Cueto. But they actually did have to go out and spend and make some big deals and make some trades, which Heim Bloom was never going to do for this Red Sox team. Deadline after deadline. He went in and they were begging for help 2021 when they made that run to the ALCS, especially I'll I'll give him credit. He went out and he made a deal. He brought in Kyle Schwarber and he was great for us. I mean, but the only reason we got him so cheap was because he was injured that season. Otherwise it would have taken a much bigger prospect hall to get him. And I don't think he would have done it in 2022. We were in a very similar situation where we could have maybe snuck into a playoff spot, made some noise, but he decided to stand pat at the deadline and just didn't really go for it. This year, same situation again. Three games out of the final wild card spot, and as when the team was saying, "Hey, we want, we think we can make a run. Give us some pieces," he kind of threw his hands up in the air and said, "I'm going to give you Luis Arias from the Brewers. That's it." And yeah, that's just not going to do it at this level. I understand that you value these pieces in your farm system, and you think and you think that they're going to be great additions to your big league ball club. But not all of them are going to be stars, and it's your job as well to not just bring in this talent and cure it and you know have all these guys come up and come to the big leagues. You also need to sift through and say, hey, this guy I think can really be an impact player for us down the line, and then this guy I don't think is going to live up to his potential. And you have to be able to sell those guys to other teams, and that's something I think Dave Dombrowski actually did really well at during his time here. He was able to go out and say, all right, we have the number one prospect in baseball in Yuan Moncada. Everyone wants him, but I think we can, I think we can send him off to the White Sox, get Chris sale and get a certified bona fide ace on this team. And they did that. They sent him along with Michael Kopech and a couple of their prospects. They got him in 
And then they did the same thing as well the season prior, getting Craig Kimbrell on this team by trading away Manuel Margot, who credit to him has had a solid major league career, but definitely didn't live up to the hype that I think a lot of people thought he was going to. So I think that was one of the areas where Heim struggled because he could bring in these smaller pieces and it was like, oh, this is like a nice little fit. Rob Refsnyder, good fourth outfielder to have on the team. Nice piece. But he never was able to really put it, you know, really put all his chips on the table and say, you know what, I'm going to go in and make this deal. And you know what? That's really what it means to be a general manager. Yeah. Essentially, you have to sort of work and you have to be able to sell your prospects to another team and sort of fleece other general managers. Yeah. And time and time again, instead of being the fleecer, Heim Bloom was the fleecy. Yeah. And it's not always about fleecing teams. I mean, like, listen, you want to win the deal, but at the end of the day, you just want to make you you want to do whatever you can to make the major league club better. And I think Heim did a lot to make the minor league teams better. I mean, our system went from, I think, the last ranked team in all of baseball when Dombrowski was fired. I think we were dead last. And now I think we have the number five system in all of baseball. I, I give him credit for that. He was able to build it up. But now the job of that is when you have a top farm system in baseball, that means you have chips available to go out and, you know, spend and make some and make some things happen. So that's the area where I think he could have done better. But now we sit here and I think the question is, what are they going to do now? Because, I mean, this is something that the Red Sox have been doing ever since Theo Epstein left, where it's just been very major regime changes. I mean, once Theo left, he was a pretty good, perfect blend. After he took off, we brought in Ben Sherrington, who was very much similar to Heim Bloom, was kind of, you know, kept things close to the chest, didn't really spend until that 2013 season when he brought in Jake Peavy and made a bunch of moves like that. And then after that season blew up, he said, all right, I'm going to, you know, sell things off, get rid of these guys. Um, I remember he ended up having that big fire sale in 2014, getting rid of John Lester, John Lackey, and was trying to reassemble the team. And got some solid pieces like Joe Kelly, but other guys like Alan Craig never panned together for us. After he went in, left, we got Dombrowski, which was the big baseball high up high up guy, going to spend big, going to make big, crazy contracts, signed David Price. And, you know, I as a Red Sox fan, as a fan, you love that because you because, you know, all right. Uh, regardless of whether we're going to be, we're going to be in it or not, we're going to be getting some good players at the ballpark. It's going to be a fun time going to Fenway. So when he went away and Heim came in, I had my questions as to what's the incentive going to be to go to the park. And I think we're seeing that now where um, I've saw, I saw that some tickets at Fenway now are going for like a buck and you have like only like a couple thousand fans showing up to a series against the Yankees. Yeah. It's uh it's sad. Uh, it's sad to see sort of how much they've fallen. It, it's the, it, when I, st- I started watching the Red Sox Zeke back in like 2013 and I was in, you know, when they were selling out the ballpark, doing these great things, they have never felt this irrelevant in my lifetime. And I'm still a diehard baseball fan. It's the number one sport that I live and die by, but yeah, I can't help, but just be turned off by what I'm seeing from them. I, there's nothing to really hook me anymore and get me invested into this team. I look at them and I say, all right, like I still like Raphael Devers. There are still some faces that I can resonate with, but there's nothing on this team that inspires me. Even when they were bad and they were in last place, you could see a vision with Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. And you could say, all right, those are some guys we can build around. And we have a future with those two, with like those pieces of this team right now. Obviously you can look at Devers and have some faith in him as well as Tristan Casas and Brian Bayo. But I just don't see the path right now. And I think it's going to take a really drastic offseason to make that thing happen. Yeah, it's uh, 
I mean, it's it's tough to get uh, you know butts in the seats when there's nothing to root for. You need stars, and I I I love the I love a lot of the players that we have on the roster, hundred percent. But they're not. With all due respect to them, you know they're multi-billionaires, and I'm sitting here and yeah. in, inside a college radio station. Yeah, but they're not like these big name draws like we had in the past. Yeah, and I mean Tristan Casas, I think has the ability to be that. He has a chance to be like a Joey Votto, Freddie Freeman type. He's that good, uh, and yeah. I think he has the ability to really uh, maybe be a 40 home run guy in the future. So I, I want to give him credit and Brian Bayo too. But yeah, like, I mean, Sadon Raffaella, I like what he's showing with this, with the team so far, but yeah, I just don't know what it's going to look like so far. And I mean, the Rays are an interesting team to watch, but I just, there's nothing really with them that always hooks me. They have great pitching and I think that they are a very sustainable product. I don't feel the same way about the Red Sox. And I looked and I look now with the Red Sox and I got to ask you, Zeke, what do you think they're going to do here? Do you think they're just going to hire a guy with a guy similar to Heinblum's philosophy, or do you think that they're actually going to go back in and you know try to spend again? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I hope is sure. the case. I hope that they go back to sort of that Dombrowski uh, style, where you know you go out, you get the big name players. Not only does it drive ticket uh, prices, you know, it drives people wanting to go to your ballpark. Sure. It puts butts in the seats. And at the end of the day, that's really what you need. Yeah. Plus it will make, you know, <laughs> it'll hopefully get you more wins. If, yeah. it, if it doesn't get you more wins, then that's also an issue, but like Jersey sales will be through the roof. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, you're, you're going to get some money in some other ways. Yeah. So I hope that they go back to that sort of philosophy where you bring in free agents, you actually, you know, make trades. Uh, now, uh, not, nothing against some of the farm system people as well, but I want I want big name players. No, hundred percent, and that and that's what they're supposed to be used for. They're supposed to be trade chips to help get guys like that in the system. So I don't necessarily think we need to go back to a full Dombrowski mentality because I mean, even though I loved it when I was fifteen years old, I I loved watching it for all the years when it was going on. I understand that it's not a sustainable product. You can maybe get three four years out of it potentially get a championship at which, you know, you could probably say it's all worth it, which in 2018 it was, we we got that championship, but now you look at it and it's like, all right, we had to completely reset the deck. I want to, if you're, if you're the Red Sox, I think you want to try to get something more sustainable, which I think the Dodgers are like the gold standard of it. The Yankees are trying to get back to are trying to get back to this, but I mean, you look at the Dodgers and not only are they spending at the top of the market and getting these great guys, but they also are amazing at developing young talent. And they, I mean, they have just like all these young prospects coming up year after year. And not only are they producing for the Dodgers, they're also able to then take the, take even pretty good ones as well. And then flip them in trades and get talent in just like left and right. Like they are just amazing with that. And that's what Andrew Friedman, who was a former Tampa Bay executive, he was the GM down there. He got the job out in LA and a lot of people said, Oh, Dodgers are going to get cheap now. No, he he just had to play with the rate with the Rays wallet. As soon as he was able to touch the Dodgers box, he was like, "Yeah, sure, I'm, I'll sign these guys to three hundred million dollar contracts." Mookie Betts, I'll give you whatever the hell you want. And I think that you know a lot of people thought that he was going to start to play cheap. No, he just wanted to. He just had to play within the limits of of what he was given. And I think that yeah, I think the Red Sox need to give need to find a guy that can you know value the farm system and build guys up, but is also going to pay attention to the major league product. 
Yeah, I so I mean you just need that balance. Yeah, somewhere somewhere between Dombrowski and Bloom. So yeah, and I mean, listen, I, I saw people originally saying like, hey, the U Epstein was in Boston recently. Bring him back into the fold, and I would love that because to just run it back to like the early 2000s and bring Theo in. I mean, not only did he do great things with Boston for two years, he also went out to Chicago and ended the curse out there, which, um, you know, the tall task that that was, he brought an amazing talent and um, his whole philosophy was, you know, raising up these young prospects. And then he went out and bought pitching. So, I mean, that's not the worst idea to do is, you know, get him in and have him watch over the farm system, do things like that. But I also know that Sam Kennedy just came out as well and said that, uh, he's not in consideration for either of those two spots, the, either the GM or the president of baseball ops. So it could open. I, I was hearing on 98.5, the sports hub though, that they had talked about maybe he gets into an ownership position and, you know, they have him as like even higher up than a president of baseball ops. So who knows? I'd love for Theo to come back. I think he would be great to just have back in the building and just be a voice. Cause I think that he's a really good baseball mind, but he also understands the analytics of the game and could help, uh, you know, re, you know, d- differentiate all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would be a okay with having Theo Epstein back. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we have in MLB news. Um, I do want to hop over to into college football real quick before we touch on the NFL. Zeke, coming up this weekend, Bryant is facing Brown. There were some talks. I know that you know people were wondering, are they going to even be able to get this game in just because of how crazy the high winds and the weather was going to be. Um, they are going to have a kickoff tomorrow. Winds are going to look to be around 30 miles an hour. So good luck if there's good luck to any kicks, even trying to make it to the end zone on a kickoff. So, uh, it's going to be a really grounded pound type of day, I think, but give me your thoughts on Bryant going into this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, based on what I saw last weekend, uh, at the, uh, Bryant versus LIU game, Bryant seemed to be, uh, pretty solid. I mean, it was a really, uh, controlled offensive philosophy, uh, that was another game that was sort of dominated by the elements. I would mm-hmm. say that one more rain, yeah, uh, and uh, slick conditions than wind. Uh, but Bryant can run the football. Um, you know, between Fabrice McKendy and between um, Simi Bakari, the uh, Fresno State transfer, uh, they have a ground game. Eckhouse can run the ball too. Yeah, right. We, they have a ground game. The real, uh, the real test really comes through uh, with the offensive play calling because yes, they can run the football, but I know they want to pass the ball. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like that same mentality that I have whenever I play NCAA football 14, I know I can run the football and I know I should run the football, <laughs> but it's a little bit more fun to pass. Absolutely. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they actually shift that offensive philosophy to really play into the elements or whether or not they still try to go with maybe some quick screens or uh, some short passes. Yeah. I'm going to be interested too, to see how they handle things in terms of special teams. I know Ethan Getman, their kicker last week had some struggles out the gate. So, uh, you know, if wind is not going to be in your favor, you know, and you know, you had a kicker who, you know, had some troubles to at least start the season. You know, I think that he, you know, Getman is, he's a stud kicker. He's going to yeah. get, he's going to figure things out. But um, with that, just playing a factor, um, you know, I, I think that you could also see some, you know, in some short yarded situations, you know, them going for it on fourth down, even pretty close to the goal line. Um, you know, I think that's definitely in play as well. I would agree. I mean, uh, listen, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that the 
the Bulldogs can can win this football game. You yeah. know, they played Brown last year. It was at Brown. Game went to two overtimes. They lost in the second overtime. Mm. They played Brown again two years ago here at Burns Stadium, and they came out with a victory in another close game. So yeah. these two teams, not only is it a rivalry game, but it's also they, they have a consistent um, they're consistently playing close games against each other. hundred percent. So I think that's going to be something to really look forward to, but also Zeke, I have some other things that, uh, and actually first, before we get into the other picks that you have going on, sure. I do, I do just want to say, if you want to listen to Zeke's call of the game, you can listen to that on WJMF radio, 88.7 HD two or at WJMFradio.com. It's where we stream this show on. So make sure uh, if you want to listen to that call, you can listen to it right on this station as well. So just wanted to plug that as well. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, Zeke, back to your picks, though. Um, I want to hear what is your big game of the week that, you know, you think everyone should be looking forward to in college football. You're the college football guy, so I will pass that off to you. All right. So today uh, or not today, but this weekend is week three of the college football season. So Mm -hmm. a lot of teams are still in their out of conference slate. And the biggest game is a big storyline. Mainly, it was uh, brought up last year, but it's still continuing on. It's the return of the backyard brawl. Now, these two teams, Pitt versus West Virginia, they have a long, long history of hatred. Yeah. Dating all the way back to 2000, like, pre, like years ago. But the biggest matchup uh, before. Please don't tell me. Well, t- please don't tell me years ago to you is the year 2000. No, no, no. I was, <laughs> was going to say, like, there was one specific one that people bring up all the time. Fair it was enough. 2007. Okay. Uh, West Virginia had the number two team in the nation at that time. They were looking to go to the BCS National Championship. Mm-hmm. Again, at the time, that's what it was. Sure. Yep, I know. And they go, and they have a, a home game uh, where Pitt was, like, three and nine, and they were, they were having a rough season. And Pitt goes in to West Virginia and upsets the number two team in the nation, knocks them out of the national title hopes during a rivalry game. A lot of commits that went to that game flipped to Pitt. (laughs) Again, a lot of drama. So if you are going to only tune into one game this weekend, uh, tune into the Bryant one on (laughs) WJMFradio.com. If you're going to, you know, watch a game on national TV, uh, it's going to be on ABC at 730 uh, Pitt versus West Virginia, the backyard brawl rivalry football is just always, you know, very fun. Regardless, even if you're not invested in the rivalry, these two teams do not like each other. These two fan bases do not like each other. And West Virginia, those Mountaineers fans get after it. Yeah. And now, Zeke, the other pick that I have for you today is going to be the upset. We've been seeing so many upsets this year to start the college football season, um, you know, with Duke upsetting Clemson. And then also last week when Texas took down number three, Alabama, uh, another close upset that we saw as well. Last potential one that we saw last week was Holy Cross from Worcester going into Boston College and nearly getting the win there. They lost by three points, but uh, an FCS school doing that to BC was uh, that could have been really, especially after a, a long rain delay, really killed their momentum. Oh, exactly. So, uh, you know, there's been so many potential upsets this season, and I want to just know who is your potential pick for an upset this week? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I'm looking at upsets. Uh, it's it's always good to see which teams are sort of those upset-minded teams. Yeah. A team that's already upset a team before tends to upset more teams, right? Fair enough. Uh, a great example of this would uh, be last season with Appalachian State. They went, uh, they, <sighs> they played uh, North Carolina very, very close uh, in their opening game. 
It was a high-scoring affair. Then week two, they went, played Texas A&M, and upset them in College Station. And then they come back home and win on a last-second Hail Mary against Troy, uh, a Troy team that won the Sun Belt. So upset-minded teams are something to look out for. And this year, the upset-minded team that I'm looking out for is the Northern Illinois Huskies. Okay. Northern Illinois, week one, goes into Boston College and beats Boston College in overtime. Okay. Now, granted, this is a Boston College team that barely beat Holy Cross, <laughs> FCS team. But hey, hey, the Crusaders are dogs, though. They are, they are, they're amazing. So after that big high, right? North uh, Northern Illinois goes and they play an FCS team in Southern Illinois, <laughs> and they lose. Ooh, I think they want revenge. Okay, and. They have a returning starter. He's like a seventh-year senior. Rocky Lombardi, former Michigan State transfer. He played for Michigan State during the COVID year. It's been a while. He's been there for a, a, a decent amount of time. Sure. Northern Illinois is going to play Nebraska at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Nebraska is awful. <laughs> uh, there's no way, no way around it. Now, they fired Scott Frost last year. They brought in Matt Rule, former Panthers coach. Uh and Matt Rule is great at building programs, but building programs takes a couple years. Yeah. Uh, so year one of the Matt Rule system always is terrible. They have a Georgia, Georgia Tech quarterback, former Georgia Tech quarterback, Jeff Sims. He's inept. Uh, he can run the football uh, and he can't throw it, which is what you want from a quarterback. So if I'm looking at offensive potential, Northern Illinois has more offensive potential than Nebraska does. Obviously, the talent's there. Obviously, the home setting's there. That's why it's an upset. I'm picking Northern Illinois over Nebraska. Interesting. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, I, 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 one second. I'm just trying to look something up real quick. Um, but yeah. So you mentioned Appalachian State, man. As a Michigan Wolverines fan, you're talking about upsets. Yeah, that's a dagger straight to the heart. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, right there. Oh, back in 07? Yeah, that that one. That Armani one, Edwards. That one was brutal. Uh, no, there was another football story that I had mentioned that I actually forgot to mention for college, and it was uh, that Alabama is going to be uh, potentially having a new starting quarterback this week. Uh, Tyler Buckner or uh, yeah, Tyler Buckner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't Former know Notre Dame. Quarterback. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to figure out. I just wanted to get the pronunciation correctly. He's going to be taking Jalen Milrow's job. Um, So just some just some thoughts on that. The fact that, uh, you know, after two weeks, Alabama is going to be handed the keys over. It, it, it doesn't seem like since, you know, they had a great run of quarterbacks from, um, you know what, you want to talk about two uh, Jalen Hurts to a Tungo Viola. Uh, Mac Jones, and then into Bryce Young. And right now there's kind of a question mark. So what are your thoughts as uh, Jalen Milrow has to, heads to the bench? Yeah, so uh, it was it was sort of a, a very similar point to uh, Jeff Sims. You know, Milrow, uh, he is really good at running the football. Yes. You know, he adds that athletic element uh, and he struggles in the passing game. So when it comes to what you want out of a quarterback, do you want a quarterback who's a great runner but is only okay at passing or do you want a quarterback who is uh you know pretty like he's solid he's good at both but he's not great at either yeah so um buckner played for notre dame is very familiar with tommy reese the offensive coordinator for the crimson tide system uh played with him uh last year uh it's tough. It's tough to say whether it's an improvement or not. It's certainly going to be something different. Uh, and when you see different quarterbacks come in 
uh, look for a couple early penalties and everything like that as uh, the offensive line will adjust to the new snap count. Absolutely. All right. So that was our little college football minute right there with Zeke. Uh, we're going to go in. We're going to finish this show off with an NFL segment. So uh, Zeke, we will talk about the Patriots. That's actually how we're going to finish off the show. But uh, I think the big story across the NFL for everyone last week was uh, the devastating injury with Aaron Rodgers. Everyone was so excited to see how he was going to fare starting off with the New York Jets. People were, you know, wondering, is this going to be the time that the Jets finally turn it around and make a Super Bowl push? And that went kaput very quickly as on the fourth play of his of his New York Jets career, Aaron Rodgers goes down with a torn Achilles. And man, it it, it was just brutal to see. I mean, Zeke. I was uh I, I was in night class when it happened. So I had got, I just got like an update at the time that Rogers was leaving the game. And I was like, this can't be real. And after seeing the video, seeing the injury, you literally see his Achilles tendon snap in real time. Very similar to the uh, Kevin Durant injury a couple years ago when he was with still with Golden State, where you literally see it ricochet up his calf. And it, it was just brutal to see. Yeah, uh, I'm, 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 I will be honest. I am very squeamish. I did see the video. I wish I did not see the video. I mean, it is... even, even with a sock covering his leg, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, still very apparent what happened there. It was like a broken guitar string. It was, it was, ugh. Boing. Ugh. yeah, yeah. Um, it was, uh, I, I, when I was watching, I didn't really know what was going on because, no. you know, he gets sacked and then, you know, he gets back up and then sort of sits back down. Yeah. Like it, at first, I thought I, I when I saw that in in real time, I thought he was just like trying. to I thought maybe like a timeout got called, or he was like, or something like, like a like a flat. He was like protesting a flag, or like something weird was happening, because he didn't go down in like wincing pain. He just kind of like sat back down and kind of accepted it, like and, and was just kind of there. He he didn't really seem like he was like in any discomfort. He kind of just sat down and was like, "All right, I'm just sitting down on the play." Yeah, it was. I mean, it was very peculiar. All credit to him, because if you tear your Achilles, it's and extremely you, painful, and you just like straight face it. That's gotta, that's gotta be some sort of, you know, you gotta be some kind of crazy. I mean, he straight faced it, but he also like, but he also knew enough to be like, all right, like I, this thing's gone. Like he, he did yeah. know it, it. It wasn't like he was like, oh yeah, I could keep playing, and they were like, no, Aaron, you're, 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 you're done. No, yeah. So he, like he, he kind of knew, and th- that's the thing too. And I mean. Unfortunately, you could just see this thing coming, not in terms of like anything preemptive. I know he had a calf strain coming into the year, and some people say that's like a telltale sign that, um, you know, an, an Achilles injury is coming. But more than anything, just watch the plays leading up to the in, leading up to the injury itself. The first play where he drops back and actually has to pass, he's getting pressured immediately. And I didn't, I wasn't thinking an Achilles injury was in play. But I, but I was just thinking, oh my god, he's gonna get killed back there. He's at least gonna have like broken ribs, or some. He's gonna take a shot to like the head, have a concussion. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna get knocked out some sort of way. In no way did I think it, it was gonna be that was gonna be what took him out. But I thought very easily he could have had like you know a broken rib, broken leg, something like that could have happened to him just because you know guys are just gonna be exposing him. I thought that was definitely in play. But yeah, just it, it was a brutal injury. I mean. A lot of people are saying that just him scrambling there probably, you know, put him in a tough situation and made it, um, you know, really tough for him. So I don't know. Do you think that uh, he is going to be able to make this comeback? It seems that he seems pretty. uh, It seems at least like he is wanting to, you know, make a comeback right now. He'll be 40 years old when he's eligible to return from the injury. So 
What do you think? Do you think that he is going to be, he will play again? Uh, I'm not a doctor uh, and uh, nor do I claim to be, but it really comes down to how much does he want to come back? Sure. You know, injuries as much as a physical rehab at 40 years old is going to be tough. The mental part of it as well, because if you think about it, he's already sort of, he's, he's been in the league for a while. He's played a lot of football. Yeah. And the injury toll throughout his career is already starting to tally up more and more and more. There's only so many hits some, you know, a guy can take before he calls it quits. Mm -hmm. So how much more does he want to come back? And uh, I don't know if you've heard about this story. Uh, Do you know about what he uh, he said to Garrett Wilson? Yeah, he said, I I saw that Garrett Wilson went in at halftime and he just said to him, sorry, kid. That 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 is heartbreaking, actually. That, yeah. that that's very sad to hear that. Uh, you know, Garrett Wilson, he probably thought this is gonna be his chance to go out, win a Super Bowl, you know, prove himself as a wide receiver one, line himself up for a contract extension with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. And yeah, it all came crashing down in that moment. That I, I did see that. So that might be another motivating factor as well. Coming back for these young teammates to be a mentor and everything like that. I I I fully expect that even you know, when he's on the sidelines or anything like that, um, not playing in the games, but hopefully still being a mentor for Zach Wilson. I think he'll still be at least a, a, a hell of a good quarterback coach for this team. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know who the Jets quarterback coach is, but in my opinion, Aaron Rodgers takes precedent over him any day of the week. Like, like it's just as simple as that. And I, I do wonder what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. I think that he posted an Instagram and said that he'd be back, but this is also the guy that goes on darkness retreats and does and, and does like DMT with Joe Rogan and does all these crazy things. And, you know, maybe he sees this as a sign from the universe, as Pat McAfee said, and says, all right, maybe this was uh, never supposed to happen. Maybe I was supposed to hang it up. So I don't know. Like that's that I guess you could leave that up for debate. But I, I do wonder what's going to be next for him. But with the Jets, man, with him, with him going down it opens this division right on up because although the jets lost him, they didn't lose the game. They, they hung on to win in overtime on a crazy kickoff on a crazy punt return touchdown. I know people were talking about a leg whip um, at the end that didn't get called, but in the end it goes in the, it goes in the record books as a jets W the bills looked really off in their first game. Josh Allen was horrid, like Mm -hmm. four, four picks and three to the same guy. So, um, you know, I, I have some questions. I mean, it, I think, the AFC East might be a little bit more open than people thought. Yeah. I mean, it it was a similar thing last year where everyone was hyping up the AFC West, right? Yeah. They're like, Oh my God, you know, uh, the Broncos, my homes, you know, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, uh, and then Justin Herbert, Herbert, like all four of these quarterbacks are all going to be buying best division in football. We were hearing the same thing about the AFC East. Yeah. And uh, the second I heard that, you know, the same sort of rhetoric used about the AFC East as they used about the AFC West last year. I was like, oh, something's going to happen. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, t- we're going to get into the Patriots yeah. shortly. But I think that uh, with the Jets winning and uh, and Aaron Rodgers going down, and I think both of those combined – is like the best case scenario for the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, you hate to see a guy get injured, but at the end of the day, it does help this team. It really, it helps the Patriots and the bills loss really helps the Patriots as well. Yeah. So because uh, in my opinion, you get your 
as long as the Patriots, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, do their job mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and stick to what, and, you know, play competent football, which I know can do sometimes be a challenge for this team. Then I think you get your two free wins back against this Jets team, which was going to be called into question this year. And, you know, if the bills are going to be, if Josh Allen is still having these troubles, maybe you could steal a game from them. And I think that could make things really interesting down the stretch. Now, I know they have a division game coming up this weekend against the Dolphins. We'll preview that. But in regards to the Patriots, Zeke, they just had a really interesting game to open the season. They fell to the Eagles, um, but they played them really well. I I will say this. They started the game off in a really bad hole, um, you know, let up a touchdown early and then um, on the pick six and then had a fumble like the very next play. And I was thinking, oh, my God, this thing is going to go right down the tubes. Like we could be seeing like a 30 to four game, like a 30 to like seven game at halftime or something. This thing's going to be ugly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it was two or three offensive series in mm-hmm. for the Eagles. And they had already put up like 17 points. On yeah. It. 16 points. Sorry. 16 and, points. And I am like at this point, like terrified. I'm like, oh my God, the Patriots, like they like, and I'm thinking to the Patriots of last year, I'm like, they they're not, there's no way we can come back from this. We're screwed. But I will give them credit for this. For the first time in at least I'd say two years. I mean, you could I, I will say that, that I will say this about the team two years ago. It looked like a competent offense. It yeah. looked like an NFL offense. And that's what happens when you have an offensive coordinator back there it was so refreshing yes so refreshing to watch a patriots game and not hate myself yes and like i i I was i didn't want to just like completely like like claw my eyes out watching this offense it was it was actually like the word you word you use zeke refreshing it was just nice to see them actually go out there and look like a football team and the fact that mac jones Looked very similar to his rookie self, if not better in this game. I know he had some struggles early on with the pick, but, you know, finished the game 35 of 54, 316 yards, three TDs, and then the pick. Not a bad day at the office for him. No, uh, and, you know, are there still some things to be desired? Absolutely. Want to get the win. You know, we had multiple opportunities to get that win, uh, and you can't be looking at moral victories in year three of a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, he has to, he has to finish out the game. He has to get you the win, mm-hmm. but it is showing some promise from where we saw him last year and where we saw this entire team last year. Yeah. I mean, last year, his confidence was uh, completely shot. I thought that um, we might've just completely ruined the guy. So I think this is a really promising thing to see him get back into, uh, you know, get back to, you know, looking similar to his old self. And I think that could be really big key for us going forward. Now, Another piece of this team that I liked as well, and it was great to see him back on the field, was Kendrick Bourne. Yeah. I mean, last year, I can't believe it. He only had one touchdown all of last season. He had two in the first week. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I it was probably just – it was completely incidental. It was, you know, just how things turned out. But that's the biggest F you to Matt Patricia that I can imagine. It's like, hey, you only wanted to use this guy all of last season for one – on as, as a part of one touchdown. You put him in your doghouse. All right. We're going to go to him twice because we think that he's that good of a weapon and he is, and he is that good for us. So I'm glad that we, they were able to get him back in the mix. Um, Like you said, there's still things I think we need to uh, polish up with this team. Um, One thing of concern I heard right now is that uh, the Patriots may not even view Juju Smith Schuster as, you know, one of their top five wide receivers. And for the money he just got this offseason, I think he got like 13 mil a year over three years. So 
that's very concerning to hear. So, uh, you know, still some things that need to be worked out. Yeah, I I, I will say, uh, you know, some of the some of the receivers uh, that really impressed me. Kendrick Bourne, obviously. Yeah. Hunter Henry had a great catch on fourth down. Yeah. Uh, to convert uh to convert that move the chains mm-hmm. had a good uh good touchdown catch as well. Um, I want to see a little bit more out of Mike Gesicki. Yep. I want to see uh a lot more out of uh, some of the free agents we picked up, like Juju Smith Schuster. Mm-hmm. I want to see more out of Ezekiel Elliott because uh well, I didn't find Elliott in this game. I think that I think he he could definitely get some more usage, but I I liked what I saw from him. Other than the fumble, obviously, like we'll we'll, we'll count that and, and, and do it. I was going to say maybe like more involvement into the passing game, sure, because uh, we know at least in his heyday, Zeke was a pretty good pass uh, pass catcher. Not me, uh, the the running back. <laughs> Want to clarify that? Um, but some of these free agent uh, pieces, I feel like they haven't really been utilized in the best way yet. That's fair. Um, but there's still plenty of time uh, in the season to utilize them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, as we kind of look forward into week two, um, you know, I, I actually, one other thing I wanted to discuss as well about week one, before we discuss the dolphins, um, you know, another special thing about this game today, it was the return of Tom Brady to Foxborough and not in a bucks uniform. That that's the big thing that that's a preface. This was the first time he came back wearing a Patriots Jersey, walked down the field, did his let's go celebration, had a speech at halftime. Uh, did you did you catch any of that? What were what were your, what were your th- quick thoughts on that? Uh, I didn't uh, get a chance to catch the speech per se, but uh, it, I did see uh, plenty of clips and highlights. I saw him ringing the bell. Um, it's nice. It's it's nice to see Tom Brady come back home. Uh, and it, it's like uh, seeing like that as. Uh, that like one family member who missed the last family Christmas party, but you're you're getting to see them for the first time. And it's all the memories flooding back, and you just bring them in, give them a big old hug. Yeah, I was glad to see him back as well. It was a good time. So uh, happy to have that. But now we move on to week two. We're facing the Miami Dolphins on Sunday night football. We're going to be wearing the Pat the Patriots mm. throwback red. So I'm excited to see those get debuted again this year. And going up against the Dolphins team that you know, went off against the LA Chargers. Um, um, you know, two ahead over 500 yards passing. Um, yeah, I think or, or it was close. I think, to I it. think it was. It was. I think it was like 460. It was close to it. Okay, yeah. see, so he had. Okay, it was. It, my bad. He it was. It was 460. I think he had like uh, a couple touchdowns in yeah, as yeah. well. But then Tyreek Hill also had a great game. Um, you know, he he was he still looks dynamic as ever. So, um, you know. The Dolphins, as an offensive scheme, are always moving things around, shifting, and there's a, always a ton of movement with them. What are some things that you think the Patriots are going to have to really work on going into this matchup again, going into this game? I mean, uh, it's not something that they need to work on specifically, but it's going to be uh, certainly an interesting challenge to see. Sure. How will our sort of new face secondary look against the Dolphins' defense? Or, mm-hmm. our, sorry, Dolphins' offense. Yeah. Because... Dolphins, uh, at least what they're going for is speed, speed, speed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to move quickly. They want to, uh, you know, run hurry up. They want to, you know, have speed down the field. Jalen Waddles fast. Oh, Tyreek yeah. Hill's fast. They have a very fast team. And to combat against a fast team, you either need to be, A, more physical than they are, or two, just as fast as they are. Now, we... Uh, 
we drafted a it's bunch tough of to corners. be faster than Tyreek Hill. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's it's a little tough. Uh, it's a big ask. So we drafted uh, Christian Gonzalez in the first round. Mm-hmm. We've drafted Marcus Jones, Jack Jones. We have Jonathan Jones. We got a lot of Joneses in the secondary. Mm-hmm. We have Kyle Duggar. We have all of them are out of jail for the time being. This is true. That was not always going to be the case. No, it's true. It was up. Uh, that was very much up in the air for a while. But it's going to be interesting to see how all of these pieces, all of these young players that we have, how they can fare against the Dolphins' offense. Because I hate to break it to you guys, but we're going to be playing the Dolphins a lot. Yeah, they're in our division. We're going to have to play them at least twice. Uh, twice every uh, every and, season. And so. Bill has yet to win against Tua. So we're going to have to see, like, can he finally get over that hump and, and beat him, too? Yeah. So I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not, one, we can win, and two, uh, how our defense matches up. Because we, I would say the defense looked pretty impressive against uh, Jalen Hurts last week. Yeah. Uh, and he had some uh, pretty good weapons as well. Defonse Smith, A.J. Brown. We managed to hold them in check for the most part. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Let's see if they can replicate that performance. Let's see if you can go two for two. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in my opinion, this is a must-win game for the Patriots. I I hate to say that this early in the season, but uh, it just kind of you know when t- you and you can't really go down 0-2 to start a season. It, like once you do, your odds of you know really making a playoff push and you know being successful it, they drop dramatically. So I think that this is a, a game that the Patriots really need to have and. It's going to be challenging. I know the Dolphins try to usually play the Patriots pretty tough. Um, but I, one thing I do know is that in the recent years, Belichick has gotten better at managing Tyreek Hill. That was something when Tyreek Hill first burst on the seams with the Chiefs, uh, Bill really had no answers for him. And he was able to run all, all over the Patriots. I remember um, the season opener we had against them after the Super Bowl. He'd had like a 70-yard just like, you know, screamer right down the sideline and just like, you know, just shredded the defense. I remember like Devin McCourty was just like left in a cloud of dust behind him. So I think he's gotten better at, at uh, managing him. Even if you're not like, you know, having guys speed with like having guys uh, track him in terms of speed, you can kind of shut him down and, you know, track his routes a little bit better. And it's going to be a matter of, you know, old school football with the Patriots having your two and threes beat us. I think they see Tyreek as the number one option and they're going to say, all right, we're going to try to do everything we can to shut him down. And it's going to be up to Jalen Waddle and all those guys to have to make the deciding plays and win the game. So uh, in your opinion, Zeke going into this, going into this matchup, how do you think the Patriots are going to fare? Do you have them getting the win? Uh, I think that uh, based on what I saw last week from both of these teams, it will certainly be a tough matchup. Um, I think that the Patriots can get the win, uh, but that really, again, it comes down to weather conditions again. Because we saw how weather sort of affected early on in the game when it was still wet, still raining. That's when Mac Jones started to struggle a little bit with Very the true. interception and everything like that, fumbles, uh, so on and so forth. But if, because, you know, I don't, if, if you're a listener of this show and not from the local area, uh, there's been a hurricane yeah. <laughs> coming coming in the area. So if there are plenty of wins, I feel like we, uh, the Patriots, are a better team equipped for running the football than the Dolphins are. The Patriots are, are, 
at least during this era, have been a historically good bad weather team. Um, you know, you look at how they went and, you know, like the last time we played in a hurricane up in Buffalo, yeah. uh, you know, we, we, Mac Jones passed the ball three times the entire game and we ground and pound and, you know, we beat him that way. So, uh, you know, that was a great example of when we were able to do that. And yeah, I think that it could be something very similar in this matchup. If that's the case, I take the Patriots hundred percent because mm-hmm. the Dolphins run game is not nearly as potent as the Patriots no. run game is. And uh, the Patriots run defense can, I believe, shut down the Dolphins run game. Yeah, I, I will say this. I I think the Patriots and Dolphins talent wise, I think they, they can match up well against them. My only thing about them so far is that they are a, still a younger team, still have some inexperience with some rookies coming in. And I think what's been separating them for a while now is because they've been in a lot of these games, you know, dating back a couple of years now when they faced the Dallas Cowboys, when they even faced Brady, when he came back on the Bucks, they've been in a lot of these close and tight games and made things competitive. And what's been the deciding factor has just been little mistakes, but whether it's a late fumble or a pick or a guy just taking a, or, you know, the offensive line uh, kind of blowing up and, you know, Mac Jones taking a really bad sack or the defense getting exposed in a very crucial situation. And I know like, listen, these guys can't be perfect, but Hey, Sean booty, not dragging the second foot, things like that. That's exactly what, what separates it. So a good, a good, you know, football team, that wide receiver, he's tapping the toes and bounce. He's making that play. And that's just going to be what separates them. I think that, if they can finally get over the hump, they have enough to do it, but I need to finally see them do it. So mm. I have my doubts going into Sunday. I'm always going to root for the Patriots to win, but I would not be surprised if Miami pulls out the victory. So that's my take on, on that game. I again, I'm rooting for them all the way, but I think that's what we have, what we have going on in the NFL and Zeke. We are now down to the wire. It's it's about that time, so we're going to wrap up what we talked about on this show and get you guys on your way. Zeke actually has to go to a wrestling show tonight. He will not be a performer in such show. He is only a spectator, so I just want to... you know of. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> We're getting in the crowd. <laughs> hey, what's this chair for? Yeah, exactly. So he, he, he said he's going as a spectator, but we all know what he's really going for. He's really, you know... <laughs> a luchador Zeke. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. What would your wrestling name be? Oh, geez. I mean, I mean, Zeke the Freak is like what you've always kind of. Yeah. That's your spam name, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a. It would probably be like Devin Dynamite or something. Okay. I don't know. Fair enough. Doesn't use real names often. I will not be previewing previewing a wrestling name on this show, but uh, I do want to say, Zeke, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I really do thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. Absolutely. So as we mentioned before, you can watch Zeke's broadcast of the Bryant men's football team tomorrow on WJMF 88.7 HD2 Smithville Providence. That's where you can also watch this show on Fridays, typically at 7 p.m. Uh, that can always kind of be up in the air, though, just knowing how my schedule is. So uh, always keep you guys tuned and posted to that. So if you guys want to find out when I'm going to be doing these shows on air or just at all, you can find that on our Instagram at down dot to the wire. We have links on there as well to all of our streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and our YouTube page. So make sure to go on there, give that a follow, and you know, go like, subscribe, and do all that good stuff. So thanks again for tuning into the episode. And from down to the wire, I'm Brian Costa. And I'm Zeke Kransdorf. And we hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Take care. Peace out. WJMF Radio.